Monday it is. So obviously over the weekend, Joe Biden was named president-elect of the United States. This morning, Pfizer is showing promising results on a coronavirus vaccine. Things are looking up and I'm feeling good. Speaking of feeling good, today we're writing about one of the most promising mental health treatments the world has ever seen. It's something that's been under our nose for decades, but we're finally getting out of our own way and doing the research and bringing bring it to market now. So without further ado, let's get to it. The magic of mushrooms. Let's take a trip. What do you think of when you think of psychedelics? Maybe you think of hippies in the 1960s. Maybe you think of fish concerts. Maybe you think about that one time in college. Maybe you just think those are drugs. They're illegal, they're dangerous, and they're bad. Just say no. But to steal a phrase from Michael Pollan's best-selling 2018 book on the benefits of psychedelics, I want you to change your mind. By the end of this essay, you'll understand why we underestimate psychedelics, the promise they hold in solving our biggest mental health challenges, and the strategy behind the first public psychedelics company in the U.S., Compass Pathways. It's easy to get excited about psychedelics. MDMA combined with therapy looks like it may cure PTSD in a large number of patients. Psilocybin with therapy is showing promise in fighting depression. And unlike traditional medication, psychedelics can cure while creating meaning. In a 2006 John Hopkins study, 67% of participants who took psilocybin rated their experience either the most meaningful or among the top five most meaningful of their lives. As Matthew Johnson, the associate director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research wrote, psychedelics are psychoactive substances that historically have attracted exaggerations of benefits as well as alarmism. So let's try to avoid the exaggerations and instead take a trip together to soberly explore the psychedelic renaissance, the war on drugs, mushrooms magic, Compass's pathway, Compass's business model, and we'll do a little bit of irrational exuberance about psychedelics future the psychedelic renaissance. Because of long-held negative recreational associations, most people are unaware that psychedelics are the most promising treatment for a wide range of mental health issues, from depression to alcoholism to anorexia, that we've ever seen. The psychedelic renaissance could not have come at a better time. The world desperately needs innovative solutions to mental health disorders. The worldwide numbers are staggering. 164 million people suffer from substance abuse, 264 million from anxiety, 300 million from PTSD, and 322 million from major depression, including 100 million who have been resistant to treatment. And those numbers are pre-COVID. According to a survey, depressive symptoms have tripled during the pandemic. The total direct and indirect costs of the mental health epidemic are expected to reach $6 trillion by 2030, up from $2.5 trillion in 2010, according to the World Economic Forum. 
The Lancet Commission estimates that the number to be as high as $16 trillion when you include the loss of productivity and spending on social welfare, education, and law and order. Despite the huge need, the last real innovation in the fight against mental illness was the release of Prozac in 1988. After 50 years in the dark, though, psychedelics are once again getting the chance to shine. Led by public figures like Michael Pollan, Tim Ferriss, and even Joe Rogan, and leading institutions like Johns Hopkins, NYU, Berkeley, and Imperial College of London, therapeutic psychedelics are going mainstream again. On election night, Oregon voted to legalize psilocybin for mental health treatment in supervised settings. Washington, D.C. voted to decriminalize it. The FDA granted a breakthrough therapy designation, which they grant to therapies that have shown great promise and clinically significant improvement over available therapies, to three trials using psychedelics to treat mental health indications, one with MDMA and two with psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. Last week, Johns Hopkins released a new study that showed that treatment with psilocybin and supportive psychotherapy produce rapid and large reductions in depressive symptoms in adults with major depression, with a magnitude of effect four times larger than antidepressants. At this point, you might be thinking, dope, sounds amazing, give people shrooms. But this isn't a healthcare newsletter. Not boring isn't out of pocket. Why are you telling me this? Well, in September, Compass Pathways IPO'd and became the first public company with a psilocybin-based product. Tide Life Sciences, a biotech platform to heal mental health disorders with a wide range of psychedelic-based therapies, recently raised a round from investors like Peter Thiel and Michael Novogratz and is expected to go public soon. It's tempting to group psychedelic companies like Compass in with the green wave of cannabis companies that have taken the market by storm, starting with Tilray's IPO in July 2018. But psychedelics companies like Compass are less like cannabis companies, which have mainly focused on recreational use, and more like biotech stocks focused on the hardest to tackle mental health indications. Atai's Colin Kilo told me, We're seeing increasing acceptance across investor classes. Traditional biotech investors, Silicon Valley, family offices, the biggest names and the best analysts in the space are approaching psychedelics with real sincerity, and the government, to a large extent, is approaching them the same way, because mental health disorders have such a large, unmet need. The research reports back him up. Citron Research, best known as an activist short fund, gushed uncharacteristically when it called Compass the most compelling IPO of the year whose significance to humanity has the potential to be a generational stock. But here's the crazy thing. Most hot IPOs feature a company whose products weren't even imaginable a decade or two ago. We've been studying psilocybin's benefit for 62 years. What the hell took us so long? The war on drugs. In this time of vicious political division in the United States, I think there's one thing that all Americans can agree on. Richard Nixon was a real dick. In addition to being the Watergate guy, in 1971, Nixon declared a war on drugs that has, among other evils, cost the United States over $1 trillion, disproportionately targeted black people, and led to an arrest for drug possession every 25 seconds. The war on drugs cost millions of Americans lives and prevented tens of millions more from their constitutional right to the pursuit of happiness. It's the reason that we lump all Schedule One drugs together as bad and dangerous, despite their vastly different profiles, while doctors happily write prescriptions for opioids that kill 128 Americans every day. So why'd he do it? In 1955, a New York banker named R. Gordon Wasson went to Mexico in search of a godlike mushroom and detailed his experiences in a 1957 Life magazine article called Seeking the Magic Mushroom, bringing the experience into the Western consciousness. He also brought psilocybin into the lab. He sent mushroom samples to Albert Hoffman, a Sandoz scientist who had previously discovered LSD, and in 1958, Hoffman isolated the chemical structure of the active compound. By 1960, Sandoz released psilocybin pills under the name indocybin. With indocybin, scientists and psychologists began doing real research on psychedelics' potential benefits. 
According to the Beckley Foundation, the number of scientific studies published on psilocybin grew from 5 in 1958 to 40 in 1968. The American Psychologists Association focused on LSD research, specifically a paper titled Personality Change Associated with Psychedelic LSD Therapy at its 1964 annual meeting. But psychedelics jumped from the lab and into the counterculture. In 1960, Harvard clinical psychologist Timothy Leary started the Harvard Psilocybin Project with Richard Albert, who would later become Ram Dass, using psilocybin they ordered from Sandoz. The project undertook some legitimate research, like the March, Marsh Chapel Experiment, or Good Friday Experiment, in which divinity students were administered the drug in a chapel to determine whether it could facilitate profound religious states. 10 out of 10 self-reported that it did. But it largely devolved into the epicenter of recreational psilocybin and LSD use. Harvard shut down the project in 1962, but Leary continued his work spreading the word about mushrooms and LSD. In 1966, he famously told America's youth to turn, it, turn on, tune in, drop out. Despite pleading from serious researchers who feared that Leary was going to, quote, wreak havoc on all of us doing LSD work all over the nation, Leary pushed on, like a friend who gets too high and gets everyone in trouble. According to Pollen, Leary said things like, LSD is more frightening than the bomb, and the kids who take LSD aren't going to fight your wars. They're not going to join your corporations. The FDA did not like the sound of that, ordering in 1966 that researchers halt all work with psychedelics. Neither did Tricky Dick. In 1970, in large part to slow down the anti-war counterculture movement, the Nixon government passed the Controlled Substances Act, which classified psilocybin and LSD as Schedule I drugs, which have no medical use and a high potential for abuse. In 1971, Richard Nixon declared the war on drugs and labeled Leary, quote, the most dangerous man in America. When Harper's writer Dan Baum tracked down Nixon's domestic policy chief, John Ehrlichman, in 1994, Ehrlichman admitted that the war on drugs was an indirect way to target two enemies of the Nixon administration, the anti-war movement and black people. Did we, rely, did we know we were lying about drugs, he said? Of course we did. In a total narc move, the U.S. also pushed other countries to follow its drug scheduling guidelines. In the 1971 U.N. Treaty, the Convention on Psychotropic Substances largely adopted the U.S. scheduling, grouping psilocybin with drugs like heroin and crack cocaine and effectively halting research on its benefits worldwide. But despite being built atop a lie, the war on drugs and its associated propaganda worked for decades. It's why we're just getting back to psychedelics now. When I was in seventh grade, we had to read a book. I forget what it was called or what it was about. The only thing I remember is that the main character's older brother did acid once, lived in a flop house, and had frequent flashbacks in which spiders crawled all over his body for years. It surprised me to find out many years, and no acid for me thanks, later, that LSD and mushrooms are two of the safest drugs out there on the active lethal, lethal dose and, dependence, and dependence potential scale. All weekend, I was drinking beers and coffee. Turns out, I would have been much safer tripping. The war on drugs was like the food pyramid on crack, tricking generations of Americans into making unhealthy decisions despite the best intentions. Nixon started it, and Reagan picked, off, uh, picked up where he left off, waging an all-out media offensive. In 1987, the Partnership for a Drug-Free America dropped the classic This Is Your Brain on Drugs commercial. We were lied to again. A 2014 Proceedings of the, Royalty, of the Royal Interface study actually looked at the brain on drugs, psilocybin specifically, and discovered that your brain on drugs actually looks way more connected than your brain on a placebo. And there's an image in the doc, you should check it out. It's wild. Far from killing brain cells, psilocybin rewires the brain and forms rich new connections, at least temporarily, between parts of the brain that don't normally speak to each other. That's why people report seeing music or tasting colors when they're tripping. 
The bad press and propaganda surrounding mushrooms, largely a remnant of the culture wars of the 19, early 1970s and late 1980s, obfuscates their incredible therapeutic promise, mushrooms magic. Over the past decade, researchers have begun studying psilocybin again, and the findings, although early, have been incredibly promising for a variety of mental health indications. Early research focused on patients suffering from depression due to terminal cancer includes at UCLA, at UCLA in 2011, Grab et al. showed that psilocybin reduced depression and anxiety for at least six months in 12 patients with anxiety and acute stress due to advanced late-stage cancer. At NYU in 2016, Ross showed a rapid and sustained symptom reduction following psilocybin treatment for anxiety and depression in pati patients with life-threatening cancer from psilocybin treatment. And at Johns Hopkins also in 2016, Griffiths et al. found that psilocybin produces substantial and sustained decreases in depression and anxiety in patients with life-threatening cancer. Dr. Stephen Ross of NYU Langone, where our son was born, said of his study, it was surprising and very moving to see somebody terminally ill with cancer, feeling like their life is over, scared out of their mind, disconnected from family and friends and their spirituality, to suddenly just be out of that terrible place and feeling so much better. More recent studies have focused on otherwise healthy patients suffering from MDD or TRD. At Imperial College London, Carhart Harris et al. in 2016 and 2018 showed a reduction of over 50% in the Beck depression inventory scores of patients with TRD. Just last week at Johns Hopkins, Griffiths et al. showed that two doses of psilocybin with psychotherapy produced, quote, rapid and large reductions in depressive symptoms, with most participants showing improvement and half of study participants achieving remission through the four-week follow-up. That means people who had depression no longer had depression, even four weeks out. Alan Davis, a researcher at Hopkins, said of the study, which was supported by Tim Ferriss, Blake Mykofsky, Dave Morin, and Matt Mullenweg, the magnitude of the effect we saw was about four times larger than what clinical trials have shown for traditional antidepressants on the market. Because most other depression treatments take weeks or months to work and may have undesirable effects, this could be a game changer if these findings hold up. Taken together, the studies point to a rapid and durable reduction in symptoms related to depression. Improvements in many studies have persisted six months to a year after the treatment, with research underway on longer-term effects. That means that psilocybin treatment with therapy may be as close to a one-shot cure for depression as we have. The results are particularly promising because they solve such a large unmet need. Hundreds of millions of people globally suffer from depression and other mental health disorders, and the current medications are the same ones that patients have been using since I was born. As Davis pointed out, the pharmacological solutions available today which are SSRIs, like Prozac and Zoloft, or antidepressants, and lesser-known SNRIs, are given chronically, meaning that you need to take it forever once you start, and have chronic side effects, like loss of libido, headaches, nausea, and insomnia. Mental health is a huge, underserved market, and research suggests that psilocybin could crack it. Sounds great. If only there was a way to invest. Meet Compass Pathways. Compass's Pathway. The Compass Pathways story sounds, starts like so many other startups lore. Entrepreneurs experience a problem, can't find a good solution, and set out to build it themselves. In this particular story, George Goldsmith and Ekaterina Malevskaya's son developed severe depression shortly after going to college in 2011, and his parents wanted to help. The couple were particularly well-suited to solve a health problem. Goldsmith was a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Tapestry, which facilitated drug developers and regulators working together to speed up approvals, and Malevskaya was a doctor who worked in internal medicine and global health. And yet, despite their backgrounds, they couldn't find a treatment that helped their son. So they dug into the research. One morning in February 2013, Goldsmith told Bioboss, Meliovskaya came to him with a discovery. 
I just found an article on this medicine called psilocybin. It's really part of magic mushrooms. You were alive in the 60s and 70s. What do you know about it? That led the two down a rabbit hole. They launched a nonprofit and then converted it into a for-profit company in order to better bring psilocybin-based depression treatment to the market. But hold up. Also, like many of the other startups' founding stories, Compass also seems to be generously edited to fit the current narrative. A well-researched 2018 Quartz article by Olivia Goldhill claims that Goldsmith and Meliovskaya originally told researchers and psychologists working on their nonprofit, Compass, that they were focused on using psilocybin to treat end-of-life anxiety for terminally ill patients. Through the nonprofit, they were able to recruit researchers to help the cause without formal contracts or payment. In June 2016, they created the for-profit company Compass Pathways in London and began telling the story about their son's depression when the company announced itself in a September 2017 article in the Financial Times, along with a four million pound seed round from Fortress's Michael Novogratz and Christian Angermeyer, who would launch a Thai Life Sciences, which owns 25% of Compass the following year. While the conflicting backstories and potentially shady, shady practices are cause for concern, Compass seems to be executing tremendously well as a for-profit. In October 2018, Compass raised a 25 million pound Series A based on a Based on a promising early research that same month, the FDA granted Compass Breakthrough Therapy Designation, or BTD, for a randomized controlled Phase 2b study of psilocybin therapy in 216 patients with treatment-resistant depression, RTD, in 20 sites across Europe and North America. The BTD is significant because it can shorten the process of drug development and review by about 30%, driving down costs. The BTD is one of the three that the FDA has granted to psychedelic-based treatments. It granted the other two to nonprofits, one to MAPS for its trial in MDMA to treat PTSD, and one to the USONA Institute for its trial in psilocybin to treat major depressive disorder. The FDA designation is emblematic of Compass approach to working closely with regulators, payers, which is what healthcare calls the entities that actually pay for treatments, like insurance companies and governments, and leading research institutions. Its scientific advisory board includes the former director of the National Institute for Mental Health, along with researchers from Harvard, Stanford, Duke, Johns Hopkins, and Imperial College London. Sure, its first treatment is psychedelic-based, but it wants you and the regulators to know that it's legit. Patented legit. One of the concerns about the business model of psilocybin-based therapeutics is that since mushrooms can grow naturally, it's hard to protect IP. But you can't just prescribe shrooms, and Compass developed its own synthetic psilocybin formula, Comp360, to best-in-class good manufacturing practice standards. Because it created a controlled formulation, it was able to apply for a patent on Comp360 and a therapy protocol for patients with TRD, which the USPTO granted in December 2019. Compass is still in phase 2B trials, but the company is moving forward on the financing side. In April 2020, it raised an $80 million Series B from investors ranging from Matai Life to Tinder founder Justin Mateen to healthcare fund Soleus Capital to Contrarian Venture Capitalist Founders Fund. Compass became the first publicly traded psychedelic drug stock when it went public on September 18, 2020. It raised $127.5 million in order to fund research and clinical trials and to continue developing digital technologies to pair with its therapies. The market was high, pun intended, on the offering, sending shares soaring 23% on opening day from 23.40 to 29. As of Friday afternoon, shares were trading at 38.71, up 65% from IPO, fueled by strong analyst support, an October 23rd CNBC appearance by Goldsmith, and the election night psilocybin victories in D.C. and Oregon. Compass's current market cap is $1.35 billion. Not bad for a pre-revenue company, but biotech stocks trade different, differently than most other stocks and make even tech stocks look tame. Biotechs are mainly driven by their progress in clinical trials and the total addressable market. Both bode well for Compass. The market size is 100 million people worldwide who suffer from TRD, 4 million of whom are in the United States, and it has the potential to expand the treatment to treat more conditions. 
It's also doing well in clinical trials. Compass, because Compass has the breakthrough therapy designation from the FDA and the recent Hopkins results is at its back, it's trading as if it's almost certainly going to pass phase 2B and move into phase 3 trials. The bigger questions for Compass are around its business model. Is its product too good to support a good business? Compass's challenges. Currently, Compass is in the exciting stage of the treatment development lifecycle in which a majority of its efforts are just focused on proving that it's safe and it works in treating TRD. If it succeeds in trials, though, we'll need to shift from drug development to building a profitable business. The core of Compass business offering is offering psilocybin therapy in a three-step process. One, preparation, in which you meet the therapist and, and get comfortable with each other. Two is a psilocybin session, in which the patient, patient lies on a bed, takes a psilocybin capsule, and puts on an eye mask and listens to a specifically designed playlist to help them focus internally. And it lasts about six to eight hours. And then integration. Patients come back for therapy sessions in the following days to discuss their experience in the psilocybin session and generate insights and ideas to change emotional and behavioral patterns. To ensure a consistent experience, Compass will roll out its own clinics. By contrast, MAPS, the nonprofit using MDMA to treat PTSD, is focusing on training therapists to use therapy in their own practices. There are two main interconnected challenges to this model. One, it's expensive. Compass's therapy is more than just a pill. It includes many hours of labor and preparation during the session and in the integration phase from trained therapists. That gets expensive quickly. Johnson & Johnson has faced reimbursement challenges with its esketamine therapy, which also requires repeated in-office treatments. And two, it works too well. Early research suggests that psilocybin therapy can cause remission of depressive symptoms in one to three sessions. Contrast that with SSRIs like Prozac, which patients take and insurance companies pay for for the rest of their lives. That means that there's little recurring revenue, so Compass needs to convince the payers to cover all of its costs plus a margin in the first shot. Once it completes trials and takes its product to market, Compass becomes like any other company. It needs to lower costs and generate more revenue. To bring down costs, Compass is building digital products that will allow to track and assist in delivering psychological support, effectively using telehealth where permissible to lower costs and better support patients while building more robust data. It's also testing simultaneous administration through which it can support six patients at the same time to lower labor costs and improve scalability. The phase one study demonstrated the feasibility of the simultaneous approach. To convince payers to pay more, Compass will need data. One way to think of Compass is like a dating app that your parents pay for. Dating apps have huge addressable markets. Everyone wants to find someone, but a big problem. If the dating app works, two customers find each other, settle down, and never use the dating app ever again. They're the victim of their own effectiveness. But there's a twist if you'll allow me to torture the analogy. Imagine that the single people using the apps aren't the ones paying for them. Their parents are. And in this analogy, the parents are worried that if their kid doesn't get married, they'll have to support him or her financially for the rest of his or her life. So the dating app strikes a deal with the parents. You pay us some discounted amount based on what you have to pay to support your kid for the rest of his or her life, and we'll make sure that doesn't happen. The payers, insurance companies and governments, are Compass patients' parents here. Compass needs to convince them that it will save them a lot of money over time. David Burstein, co-founder of Brain Trust Collective, told me that the best case scenario for Compass and other psychedelic-based treatments for non-acute conditions is being able to accurately quantify the direct and indirect costs of poor mental health. Recall that mental health disorders are expected to cause direct and indirect costs of $6 to $16 trillion by 2030. The payers, government insurance companies, will need to foot a large portion of that bill. If Compass can prove, with data, that paying for its treatment will lead to lower spend elsewhere, it can justify the high price point. In terms we're more familiar with, Compass would generate a high AOV on first purchase to make up for the low repurchase rate. Burstein thinks the most straightforward path to this outcome in the near term is to quantify the relationship between mental and physical health. 
It seems obvious on the surface that better mental health leads to lower stress, which leads which means less obesity, fewer heart problems, and a reduction in a whole host of physical maladies. But payers don't pay based on intuition. They pay based on data. Compass's digital tools might help in collecting ongoing patient data that they can use to demonstrate a relationship between improved mental health and lower physical health costs. Goldsmith's background in dealing with regulators and payers to bring drugs to market, and he's bent over backwards to acknowledge the importance of the relationships with payers and regulators in interviews. Goldsmith is well suited to the task, and this is early in and this early in the development process, with strong results at his back, he has the time and cards to play it right. The Compass Bull Case. Assuming the Compass passes its clinical trial, trials, lowers costs, and convinces insurance companies and governments to cover the full therapy, this is one of the most exciting companies on the market. Partially I'm bullish because the mission is so important and this product so promising. In Software is Eating the Markets, I wrote like angel investments in the Bay Area, when you add social and experiential value to other asset classes like stocks, sneakers, and cryptocurrencies, price is divorced from the hard math and becomes more emotional. Compass fits that thesis. There's just something so cool about owning a piece of a company that could improve people's mental health more effectively than anything that's come before. All of the other technological, technological innovation, flying cars, the metaverse, even life extension, mean little if people are miserable. Beyond the societal benefit, though, more serious analysts who theoretically get paid to ignore the hype and focus on the business are also wildly excited about Compass. All six analysts report I read on the company have a buy or outperform rating on the stock with an average price target of $72, representing 86% upside from Friday's closing price. Most of these targets assume some probability around 50% that Compass passes its phase three clinical trials and expects the company's peak sales between to be between one and $2.5 billion. Upside scenarios in which trials go quickly and smoothly and the safety profile remains clean go as high as $180, or up 365% from current prices. Bear cases in which they fail go as low as $3 or $4, so buyer beware. There are five main points to the bull case for Compass. One, depression is a large and unmet need. As we've mentioned, 322 million people suffer from major depressive disorder, 100 million of whom have, million of whom have TRD. There are 4 million people with TRD in the U.S. alone. At 20K per treatment, that's an $80 billion TAM in the U.S. alone. Unfortunately, depression is only growing in a spike during COVID. If Compass works for just TRD, it has a lot of room to run. GW Pharmaceuticals, the first FDA-approved cannabis treatment, only treats pediatric epilepsy, which has about 15% as many patients as TRD, and it has a $3.6 billion market cap, three times higher than Compass. Two, psilocybin shows promise. Research has shown that psilocybin treatment has a large and durable effect on depression, even after just one session. Compass itself and independent researchers from leading universities continue to produce strong results. Compass's Comp360 could have a much greater benefit in fewer sessions than J&J's Esketamine Treatments Bravado, which should make reimbursement easier. The FDA's breakthrough treatment designation should speed up development and lower costs. Three, relatively strong defensibility. While psilocybin itself isn't patentable, Companies will need a synthetic version that complies with good manufacturing practices to go to market via the clinical path. Compass's synthetic version, Comp360, is patent protected in the US and in many countries around the world. Further, its proprietary and digital tools, training, and eventual network physical location should provide barriers to entry. Generics won't be able to steal share from Compass as easily as they can from other drugs because Compass therapy involves both the drug and the therapy. Four, the best people. Compass has built a team of employees, advisors, and investors that is the best in the industry. Its founder, George Goldsmith, is not what you'd expect from a psychedelic CEO. His background in working with regulators and payers should help smooth the approval and reimbursements process. Compass's scientific advisory board has representation from all of the leading psilocybin research institutions, giving it a corner to resources. 
resource. It's backed by Atai, Peter Thiel, and strong biotech investors, and has an advantage from being the first company in the space in the public markets. And five, no competition from Big Pharma. Because Compass breaks Big Pharma's model, it involves expensive in-person treatment and doesn't need to be prescribed over a long period of time, none of the major pharmaceutical companies are competing with Compass in the space. Compass, therefore, is the best resource company in psilocybin and is currently the only way to invest in the psychedelic trend in the U.S. markets, which should mean increased investor demand. Of course, Compass is risky. So risky that its F1 contains 92 pages on page 14 to 105 of risks, including everything from failing clinical trials to currency risks to data leaks from its digital product. It's an early biostage it's early stage biotech company with added regulatory and public perception risk because it's the first because its first drug is psychedelic. Plus, it's based in the UK. Plus, that questionable backstory is a nonprofit looms. Plus, it needs to operate a network of physical locations. Plus, it has a nonprofit competitors that may try to undercut it on costs. Plus, plus, plus. But unlike many biotech companies, Compass Plan is not to develop one drug and sell it to major pharmaceutical companies. It has a 50-year vision of accelerating patient access to evidence-based innovation in mental health and plans to address more mental health disorders, both with Comp3 and with new treatments. That means that the risk could be rewarded with uncapped upside. Additional indications for compass psilocybin therapy represent the major bull case. Assuming that the company is able to get FDA and international approval for additional indications for which psilocybin has shown promise, including MDD, anxiety, end-of-life care, eating disorders, pain, substance abuse, epilepsy, OCD, and even autism and Alzheimer's, the company's potential could be orders of magnitudes larger than estimates, estimates suggest. Irrational exuberance about psychedelics future. See what I just did there? It's exceedingly hard to research psychedelics and not get incredibly excited about their potential to cure all of our ills. The researchers, companies, and analysts in the space have a professional duty to stay calm and do the science, but as an outsider, it's fun to explore the possibilities. In the medium term, once Compass has come to market with a treatment for TRD, it should be able to more easily expand into other indications, like the one I mentioned above. Imagine one treatment that can make a dent in everything from depression to addiction to eating disorders. Personally, nothing scares me more than Alzheimer's. My grandmother had it, and as I've written about before, my biggest fear is that I or the people I love will lose our memories. It's very early, but some researchers believe that psilocybin might even be an effective treatment for Alzheimer's disease dementia. In 2019, Johns Hopkins opened the Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research to work on studies using psilocybin to treat Alzheimer's as well as smoking cessation, anorexia, alcoholism, and of course, depression. 62 years after Albert Hoffman first synthesized psilocybin in a lab, we're just getting started. Beyond medical applications, psilocybin and other psychedelics, when used responsibly, have the potential to enhance well people's experiences and unleash creativity and innovation that would lead to breakthroughs across fields. Early Silicon Valley engineer and current Salesforce VP Peter Schwartz said, I have no doubt that Hubbard LSD all of us had taken had a big effect on the birth of Silicon Valley. Steve Jobs famously called LSD a profound experience, one of the most important things in his life. What does the world look like if hundreds of millions of people held back by depression suddenly rewire their brains and unlock new creativity? If you'll allow me to get even more hippie, writing this during such a divisive election made me wonder how much less divided we'd be if everyone just underwent a little psilocybin treatment. If we learned anything from Timothy Leary, though, it's to make sure that the utopian vision doesn't get in the way of the real medical benefits. Everyone needs to trust the process and let Compass, Atai, and the other psychedelic-based mental health companies bring their products to market. Be cool, man. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on Thursday.